Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Cod Pot Cod Post. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Small Over Podcast. The only rugby podcast gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Mall Over Podcast. We are at Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook and you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor as well as Apple Pods and the Google Store and lots of other podcatcher places. Uh, I am joined this week by uh, the Housewives' favourite and everybody's podcast, Eye Candy, the Farm Vet. Welcome, Phil. How you doing, Russ? I'm good, mate. Uh, the yeah, lensman um, is back. Oh no, go on, Phil. You're no, going. I was going to say you were you're pretty smooth there, Ross. But you know Adam Foxcroft. Um, let's don't bring him into this. It makes me sick. Um, Doug, the lensman is back two weeks in a row. Almost like he wanted rugby to happen. Welcome back, Doug. Hello. And the nicest man in Cornwall rugby podcasting, Ben Eustace. Hi, Doug. Hi, Adam. <laughs> Do I not get wow. one? I Phil doesn't. Phil didn't get one either. Um, cool. Well, we're back for another week. And uh, surprisingly enough, there is some actual premiership rugby to talk about. So we'll have a little meander through the weekend's games and a few other bits and pieces. Uh, before we get into the premiership, shall we discuss this absolute doozy from france at the weekend as i drop my phone did you just tackle it uh, uh it is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen and i know people are going to go oh yes but it's not safe and it's out of control and it's a red card i don't disagree that it's a red card i gotta be honest it, it, it was probably reckless but that's subjective but when you look at it in the cold light of day, he was probably about a second too late. Um, he wasn't overly high. And he wrapped both of his arms. So other than launching himself into a uh, Raiden-like pose for all you more combat fans, um, 
it was pretty good on the whole, do you not think? <clears throat> I liked it. Can I shock you? <laughs> I, I just, you know, all the bedwetters on Twitter, it, that is like their ultimate fantasy, isn't it? You know, it's, it's rugby. Anyone who says, oh, we don't like to see that in rugby, probably only started watching rugby in the last 18 months. Because as I explained today to someone, um, are watching the Adam Radwan break in the Newcastle game. She said, oh, that was that was an incredible break. Uh, that, that's what I really like watching that in rugby. And it was like, I said, yeah, yeah, you're just the kind of person like premiership rugby and rugby administrators want. They don't want me because I like watching Carl Fern smash into people. Yeah. You know, and therein lies the problem. To get people like that, you need to forgo people like me. And I thought that tackle was A, not high, B, not reckless, because if it was reckless, he wouldn't have tackled him in the right place. And C, just really, really fun. And in the sort of mid to late 90s, would have made all the highlight reels. Um, In the interest of my mental health, uh, I will no longer be commenting on the legality or not and the appropriate punishments or not of any incident. I will, however, say... Disclaimer. <laughs> I I have a foot in both camps. I'm I'm with Doug. I really enjoyed watching it, but equally, I, I quite enjoyed Adam Radman's run as well. They're both part of rugby, and rugby is about the balance between those two things, the pretty and the uh, ugly. I, I agree with what Doug said about the... Uh to attract people um, who like the Radwan style thing, you'll probably lose, sorry, the dog's drinking again. <laughs> Good old can you not? Can you not just like put his water bowl away while we're podcasting? You don't uh, get so, that on Blood and Mud, mainly because they probably think keeping pets is cruel. <laughs> um, I, he'll oh, I, finish in a minute. Um, I, I think... I agree with what Doug said, that there will alienate people. I think that we've been slightly radicalised by some of the recent red cards because, personally, I think that one was as clear a red as you'll ever see. And and it almost is part of the reason why the framework doesn't really work because you could maybe argue the legality of it based on the framework. But he was just trying to wipe the guy out. And he kind of makes a token effort to charge it down. And once the ball's gone, he then sort of launches like a swimmer. And the only reason it wasn't high is because the scrum half was six inches off the floor following through on the kick. I, I think... mean, that's not true, Ben, is it? At all. Yeah, it is true. No, it's not. It, wasn't. it is. It wasn't six inches off the floor. Yeah, you'd left the floor to kick the ball. But yeah, I I just think that was... In in the in the old days where the rule of sending someone off was is he being a dickhead and trying to hurt someone, then I think that would have always been a red card and fallen foul of it. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not a fan of that one. I, I think my biggest argument about it is, and, and you hit the nail on the head there, is within the framework that doesn't actually 
specifically apply to a sanction of a red of a red card it is then it then becomes somebody's interpretation of reckless as opposed and, to what is know, an actual red card i i can't i'm i'm kind of here for that russ because um we do go on about referees being the ultimate arbitrator of the game and we should respect their decision. The referee decided it was reckless, so he sent him off. Um, I could see another occasion where that, that was given as a yellow card. I could see another occasion where it was given as a, a clean hit. Somebody shook his hand. I think yeah. if he just carried on running and run through him, then, you know, all well and good. But there was a definite launch it, that it need it, to be the, made. the ultimate thing is that the game, like it or not, is refereed on optics. And because of that, anything along those lines whereby a player makes an action which creates a reaction from the opposition, that is instantly, well, that must have been bad. I should send him off. Because you could see why a team would react in the way that they did because from first glance you think oh my god is he is it has he put his shoulder through his mandible or something (laughs) (laughs) and then and then you slow it down you look at it and you go well he's wrapped he's on the chest nothing else really matters it was a second late if that and ultimately he was at he was at some speed as well but ultimately the referees refed it on optics and the reaction of the opposition, and Which... and you've got you've got to respect that decision. That's that's what the refs are there to do. You know, we, we've quite often spoken on this podcast about trying not to talk about refereeing decisions and to just let the referees make their decisions. And we sort of will debate the wider effects of those decisions, but we won't criticize yeah, the referee for that. And, and with that. I'm... I, I think that's how we should look at this. The ref decided it was a sending off. I don't think it was. What you don't need is, as Phil's described, 50 different bedwetters in your Twitter feed telling you that you're a terrible human because you didn't think it was a red card. I think the the, the best the best way to describe it then with, with that last sort of sentiment in mind is the ref sent him off and that was kind of the end of it. There wasn't any back and forth with a TMO going, oh, could we have done this? Should we do that? What's the framework say? What's this? He just he looked at the incident and went, I think that's a red card. Sent him yeah. off. Yeah, and you could argue that had a TMO been involved, it probably wouldn't have been a red card. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Because where's where's the where's the transgression? Yeah, agree. All right, well, that's uh, that's that one put to bed. Let's talk. Uh, I want to make a bit, before we go into the Premiership, I just want to make a bit of a point about uh, the Rugby Championship and South Africa and the Lions. And in the last two weeks, I'm going to call them an improving Australia team, albeit um, resurrecting the carcass of Quade Cooper. Um and Australia are getting better and they have shown signs, but they're still not very good. But what they have shown in the last two weeks for me is how monumentally badly the Lions fucked up their tour during the summer and fucked up in their way, their approach to play in South Africa, trying to play South Africa at their own game, trying to beat them by by 
beating them up front, trying to beat them by out-muscling them, when simply just keeping the ball moving with people, I mean, you know, such as Quade Cooper, slight mavericks, you could say, but people who like, who like to move the ball. Michael Hooper, just getting involved, getting in, getting out. Like they weren't bigger than them, where they weren't necessarily stronger than them. But what the Australians did, they kind of outsmarted them, and they made they made South Africa work. And throughout the entire Lions tour, the Lions didn't do that. And Australia, they would they, in the two games that that were over the last two weeks, Australia were the better performers. I wouldn't necessarily say they were the better side individually or collectively, but they produced the right game to beat that South Africa team. And I think they've shown the blueprint of how to counteract that style of rugby moving forward. And it isn't blunt force trauma versus blunt force trauma as the Lions tried to do. Phil? I'm pretty sure if you listen to our pre-Lions podcasts, multiple in the lead up to it, we, we basically all said that. If you try and play South Africa at South Africa's game, you will lose. It doesn't matter who you are. Um and I think we probably even said it when Gatlin was picked to be the coach, whenever that was, 18 months, two years ago, said, is he the right coach to go up and play against South Africa playing Gatland ball? And then he named the squad and there was a bit of hope that he wasn't going to play Gatland ball. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it, and actually, the reality is there's nothing that new in it. Um, it's, it's been part of club rugby for, for years. You know you go and play, uh, well, when I was playing in Somerset, coming through into the seniors, you know you go to Old Reds, they're going to be big and strong and tough, and we need to get the ball out wide and take it away from their their players and tire them out. And it just never never transcribed. He had the players in the squad to do it, he just didn't play them. Yeah. Agree. Um, I, think, I know, go on, Ben. I, I think um, when you go to South Africa, you have to be careful not to get bullied, but it's very easy to slip um, over the line from fronting up and not getting bullied into playing exactly the same as South Africa do. And you can't do that because the South Africans are the best at playing that way because that's how they've always done it. Uh, 100%. I think a lot of it was um, Gatlin's hubris. You know, he thought that Good he man. could, he, he thought he was better at what he does than what South Africa are at what they do and and he wasn't willing to well I don't know for a fact but I, I would suggest that if we were talking about how you should beat South Africa how you beat South Africa on this podcast you would imagine that members of his coaching team were I don't know <laughs> if he was either a too rigid to try it or b didn't have the players to implement that game plan well he had he had um, Gregor Townsend as part of his coaching exactly. staff. Exactly. And he uh, and, and he had Dan Bigger, who's been throwing the ball left, right and centre for Northampton for a year and a half. So I, I think ultimately it comes down to Gatland and him thinking that his system was better than everyone else's. Which it clearly and wasn't. You only get one chance at this every 12 years and he fucked it. He fucked yeah. this one. Oh. Gatland seems to get a chance every four years regardless. And I'm interested to know who actually makes that decision. Who who installs that coach? But uh, anyway, that's that's a conversation for another time. Let's talk about the Premiership, the return of the Premiership, and more relevantly, the return of Saracens to last year's losing semi-finalist Bristol, the the table toppers from last season. Everybody's 
a lot of people's favourites to to go deep again this season. And yes, there you know, but there was a couple of players missing um, from Bristol. A load of players missing from what Saracens could have put out. And Saracens came back to Premiership rugby in almost the exact same way in which they left. They defend well. <laughs> Maybe not cheating, but in in performance on the pitch wise, in the way they were drilled, the way they defended, the way that they operated in throughout the entire game, Bristol never once really got a sniff. And it was absolute peak Saracens, even circa 2017-18, like absolute ruthless robotic soulless defensive machine and they just strangled Bristol until Bristol couldn't take any more and they almost capitulated they just gave away penalty after penalty Lovzowski just went kick after kick and then he put Lewinson in the corner and and Bristol literally had no answer other than their fans on Twitter who called it all boring rugby and oh God, we haven't missed Saracens when I would potentially say the exact opposite. Phil. I really enjoyed it as a match and I watched it as a, as a true neutral. Um, I had a, got a bit of a soft spot for the ruthless efficiency of, of Saracens equally. I've really enjoyed watching Bristol play over the last couple of years and um you're right, they, they strangled Bristol, but equally, I think Bristol, to some degree, were architects of their own downfall. There was one play after about, fi- I want to say about 50 minutes, something like that. First phase ball, right-hand side, middle of the pitch, spun it all the way out to the left-hand side, um, turned it, um, won, the, won the ruck, and then spun it all the way back to the right-hand side of the pitch. And all of a sudden, you had... Steve Luatua, I think a huge pass to Luatua, and and he had 20 yards in front of him, and he took that 20, 30 yards, and all of a sudden you're going, well, that's that's the Bristol of old. That's the Bristol who are going to use those wide spaces and take advantage of it and and really challenge some of those outside shoulders. And then um, I think two minutes, I think two phases later or, or two rucks later, they turned turned the ball over, gave away a penalty. That's it. And didn't see it again for the entire of the rest of the game. Now, I don't know if that's the Bristol players being a bit overawed by the strangling nature of Saracens or whether that's a deliberate ploy from Pat Lamb to try and keep it a bit tighter because they're afraid of the 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 kind of turnover, breakaway, try-scoring ability of, of Saracens, particularly as they get late into the game, that, that broken field where they'll pile on 25, 30 points in the last... 20 minutes but it didn't work for Bristol and it very much did work for Saracens um and I and I quite enjoyed watching it as a as a neutral Ben yeah I mean <clears throat> I thoroughly enjoyed it I mean soulless defense is um one of my favorite things so um <laughs> yeah there was one there was one stage where it it was like an old old school sort of Saracens defensive set where they pushed them back from the 22 to the halfway line. Um, and, you know, they, they very much took the sort of template from them, you know, successful sides of the past and, and applied it. 
And I think they had enough players that had, had played in those teams to to carry them through. And, you know, Tompkins, as well as Lozowski, played really well. Um, and But, you know, they just, they they did put the pressure on Bristol. And I thought Bristol didn't cope with the pressure very well. That You know, they they dropped almost every high ball. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, uh, players spilling in contact, drop passes, um, which isn't really like Bristol. And I think the sort of speed of the kick chase and and speed of the line of the line in defence just just really got to them. Um, you know, they they were missing Rodrada, which you know everyone's always going to miss. But you know, it's it's quite a strong Bristol side, um, and I I just think you know for all the talk of of you know there was an article in the paper on friday where they were saying you know harlequins have shown the way and attacking rugby is going to be the thing in the premiership this season but you you've got a, a, I, was it you russ that said you've got to earn the right to attack and, well we all and bristol, we've kind of all said it doug yeah, you said and, it on but yeah it's and, and bristol never managed to earn the right did they and when they when they did try it uh, other than a couple of sort of notable occasions where it was just a personal piece of brilliance, they were just stuffed, you know, overwhelmed. And I don't think it's a bad thing because if every game is 45, 44, it will become tedious. Whereas if, if it's just the odd one and it's a nice surprise, then everyone's happy. In danger, of, in danger of turning to super rugby. Doug, yeah. what, do you, what, did you, uh, what did you make of Friday night? Yeah. And it a little bit turgid. The first half was very turgid. Um, you, you could tell that Bristol, I don't know if they've been con- convinced themselves that this 50-22 thing was the way to attack teams now, which it probably is, to be fair, if you're stuck somewhere within your own 10-metre line and you, you've you banged it up a few phases. I, I can see why you could dribble a kick into the 22 and turn a, a flat attack into a into a, a set piece attack but it, it almost seemed like it was to their detriment that they wanted to do that um saracens were quite happy to play that game because whenever you play that game they always win don't they so um and by the time they realized shit our game plan isn't working it was too late um but look it's, it's the first week of the season and a lot of these games are, are pretty wonky i think um Bristol, to me, I think missed Malins a little bit. I don't know if that anyone else felt that way. Well, I thought he I seemed gonna... to be the real creative juices in that team. Sheed is the the sort of um, the link, and then most of their good stuff involved Malins when he was on the field. Yeah, I I thought with without um, Radrada in the midfield with the exception of um Pietau, who did some brilliant stuff they look quite pedestrian at times it wasn't you know the sort of attacking flair that they often do have um but you know the, uh, being sort of under pressure and overwhelmed will do that to a team but you know Doug's right the first half was probably just a typical first half of the first game of the season you know it it was quite cagey and maybe um in commentary they they thought that perhaps Bristol were maybe sort of 
taking into account their semi-final where, you know, they got too open and got torn up and whether they were, you know, trying to compensate for that a little bit as well. Um, But I think that just meant that Saracens kind of grew in confidence as the game went on. And um, I think probably by an hour, 50 minutes to an hour, there was only one winner in the game. Mm. But if you if you look at Bristol and and the good attacking rugby that Bristol put on last year, it was uh, barring good solid runs from Randrandra and Nathan Hughes kind of pick and goes down the middle. A lot of it was because they were getting two or three people out wide onto the outside shoulders. Again, Piers O'Connor, Morahan, Adi Loken, all well outside kind of your standard thirteen channel in numbers two or three players there so they can have quick interchanges and they never seem to want to take the ball that much wide and I I think you're probably right that it was a fear about what Saracens could do to them in the middle of the pitch if they get turned over and they've got five or six of their players hanging out in the 15 metre channel waiting for that ball to get out wide Um, and yeah obviously Malins is not coming back for Bristol Saracens have a reasonable number of players to add to that match day squad for a chunk of the season as well, um, which looks pretty um, ominous. Well, they're bookies' favourites, aren't they? It's it's interesting because if you look at that back, the this um, the Bristol back row of Hughes, Luatua, and Thomas, which last season dominated a lot of sides to provide that quick ball. For the likes of Uren and Sheedy and Malins and the likes to be able to get the ball wide early. I don't, I mean, I could be um, completely wrong. I don't remember Dan Thomas uh, forcing a single turnover and he was prolific last season. I don't think Lua Tua really affected the game too much. Nathan Hughes was almost anonymous by comparison. And I just think, you know. I thought Hughes we, did did all right and balanced up against Billy, but you're right about the from a, from a carrying perspective, yes. Yeah. But, but I the mean, way Dan, Dan Thomas also ball. Dan Thomas also gave away two or three penalties at the breakdown as well, which was unlike him. Regardless of how well Billy's playing, you've you've got to keep an eye out for him, and I think that ties down a back row a little bit as well. Um, you know, he's gonna. He, he he might not be playing as well as he has done in the past, but he's always gonna. If you give him a run up, he's gonna he's gonna bash holes. So I think you know that probably slows things down a little bit. Um, they, they, I don't know. Maybe um the the kicking wasn't the best either. You know, urine tends to hit box kicks quite long and you know that didn't put Saracens back free under a huge amount of pressure at times um it's just but, you know yeah. what, what you know it's just they didn't play very well and some of that was probably due to a bit of rustiness didn't play any preseason was that right um yeah Bristol and, didn't play any preseason games and part of it is playing What's going to be one, you know, I think on that evidence, you can probably say they're going to be one of the better teams in the league as well. So, 
I mean, I don't want to over. I don't want to overreact. And Doug, you said that you think that some of the results this weekend may have been a little bit squiffy, um, but I see this season as potentially the most open that it could possibly be. Um, I think the way that some <laughs> some teams are improving, potentially other sides may have already peaked. Um, and might be on the slight decline, and I'd put Exeter potentially in that bracket. I I can't see where Exeter get any better, so there is a potential for them only to not be as good. Um, And with that in mind, with Saracens coming back into it, potentially we're in a position where any team will be able to beat any team until the international windows come back round and then we see the squad the squad depth and we see the you know we see what teams are, are most impacted um which will obviously be be some more than others when but, when when are the lions players able to come back and play i think they have to have five did they have to have five clear weeks so i think they're back in training now almost doing their pre-season okay. training but it's not it's not going to be far away and before we know it and, and where i was just going to go with that before i lost my trailer thought and you kindly Sorry. bailed me out no you bailed me out very well there is that how much of the season needs to be gone before some teams start mailing it in to a certain extent with the fact that there is no relegation the fact that there is you know that bye week and how far into it of the 24 games are we going to get before let's for argument's sake say london irish <laughs> worcester newcastle bath gloucester are uh, well we're probably not going to make that eight and i've and i've just you know i've used those teams as an example we're not going to make the top eight for the champions cup next season um let's just throw some youngsters in let's let's see where we go and and see what happens as opposed to going pause out most weeks because i think it'll get to that point exactly like it got to last season there will be a definite tipping point you know worcester worcester won their first game since i believe the first game of the season last season they won their first game last season and then lost the subsequent 20 odd games I think come Christmas, you're going to see some of those teams, certainly when they're playing against, say, Saracens, picking a very different team than if they were playing against one of those other teams at the bottom. Um, I I certainly think you're probably going to see that by Christmas because, as you say, there is no relegation. Um, And equally, I think not necessarily that you're going to have a league of two halves, I think you're going to have a lot of mini leagues within the league, as it were. But I think there's there's still going to you're going to see a massive gulf between the top two or three sides and the bottom two or three sides. I, I agree. I agree. Um, let's move on then swiftly to to Saturday's games. Uh, Doug, you were at your uh, beloved Northampton Saints. What's uh, stash watch? For the Saints, how's that looking this season? Um, pr- pretty, 
pretty decent stash, to be fair. Um, outside of that, Saints are pretty much exactly the same team that they were last year, apart from their brand new number eight, who looks like an absolute wrecking ball. Um, hopefully, he'll start a few games. It's going to be pretty interesting if he gets is ahead it, of Steve. Who up. is that? Was that is that Augustus? Augustus. Yeah. He's, he's enormous. Is he a behemoth? Absolutely enormous. Um, but same old Saints, really. They're going to win games they shouldn't win, and they're going to lose games they should definitely have won. And they're going to, you know, leave you feeling. It's going to leave you feeling a bit flat, you know. <laughs> as much as I love them, as much as I love them, they are that the, they are the Tottenham Hotspur of rugby. Oh God, what. A- disastrous feeling <laughs> that is absolutely disgusting. it was quite quite interesting boy before he was interviewed came on and said that he, he said um the, the commentator was sort of making some small talk with him about the games game on friday night and he said it just goes to show you, you can win games of rugby without actually playing rugby yeah which was interesting um but one thing Saints aren't going to do to anyone this year is bully. Um, and, you know, they're going to get pushed around a bit because that's just what they are. Nice on the eye when the weather is decent. Might struggle when it gets a little bit down and dirty in November and they've got to go to sail on a Friday night. Yeah, we'll get we'll get pasted. That, that, that's just who Saints are. They play lovely patterns and and they they look really nice and they they score great tries. But I just think there's a little bit missing if a game they'll, they'll have games where it just it doesn't work. I, I I've I've lost count of the amount of Saints matches I've been at where they've had five meter lineouts and overthrown the lineout or been turned over in the lineout or hadn't had a scrum on the five meter line and knocked on or given away a penalty. I think if, if saints converted 50% of their chances, they'd score 50 points every week. They're, you know, another football analogy. They're like Andy Cole. They need 10 chances to score. No, I like it. Full of analogies this evening. Uh, well, what about Gloucester? Know, life's a box of chocolates, isn't it? What, what about Gloucester? Any, any views early on Gloucester? Um, they're going to struggle. They I mean, gave that, away that seventeen penalties, which is they, they gave away shit. seventeen penalties, which is too many. They had Ben Morgan playing playing uh, second row, and also throwing into lineouts, which was quite interesting. I saw when, that. Um, yeah, when uh, Jack um, Singleton Singleton got yellow carded. Um. It's 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 tough for them really because they don't have unlike um, other clubs that are sort of around and about that position they don't seem to have a crop of youngsters coming through and they don't seem to have made wholesale changes so Newcastle always seem to have players coming through that can help um, Worcester seem to turn their squad over every year so you never really know what you're going to get and Leicester have obviously pushed on. Um, Bath have pushed on, it looks like, with 
sippers there. And I don't know. I, I think standing still is moving backwards to use another analogy, Russ. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wonder guy. whether um I wonder whether the situation at Gloucester is maybe the, the hens coming home to roost a little bit with their association with Hartbury. Um now that Hartbury are a significant player where they are, are those is that supply chain now not not following through and it's stopping at Hartbury rather than do you want to go and play for Gloucester and get pumped every week and and be part of what from the outside looks looks a bit like a relatively poorly run club in fact no let's go with what I was originally going to say a shit show of a club um like whereas Hartbury seems like a fairly well run organization but that might be bullshit but I'm just wondering whether because you're right when when was the last good young player that came through to play from Gloucester it was Ollie Thorley really and he's been there four or five years yeah you would think it would be a natural progression but he wasn't even on the bench this week yeah well they've kind of they've I would say done away with him they haven't done away with him but they've got Adam Hastings to come in and play in that position as well as um, Lloyd Evans haven't they so um, I can't remember what his name <laughs> name was. That that young Gloucester lad, but he was he was quite Charlie good. Charlie something or other, wasn't it? Let me have a look. I'll have a look because I've got this magical internet Google box. Interesting. Well, you while you um, internet the Gloucester fly half from last season, we will move on very swiftly to Welford Road. Ben, you watched this game. I didn't watch uh, any of this. Probably, thankfully, in retrospect, um, and not just because Exeter lost, but uh, what were your makings of the, of the two sides? <clears throat> you know, overreaction or, you know, uh, uh, Leicester, something like it? Yeah, Leicester probably are something like it. They... Okay, I'm going to tell you about the game, and then I'm going to take roughly three days to talk about how good Freddie Stewart is. Um, But Leicester managed to get on top of Exeter in the pack, which meant that George Ford could just do his thing. You know, we've, we've always said, if you get Ford behind a pack that's going forward, then he's just going to pick you apart. And he was just finding people like Genge and Nadolo making runs and he was picking the right pass as, you know, the good fly halves do and they were hitting gaps or hitting outside shoulders. And once that happens, then most teams are in trouble and they did just at times look really good. Um, Now Exeter's pack was not its best pack by a long distance. You know, you've, you've got no Simmons, got no Ewers. Um, what are you on there? Third third choice, second row? Yeah, they, there was no... No, no Johnny, Johnny Hill. No Dickey. Um So, you know, that pack is on, you know, the back foot straight away. Um, but, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. Liebenberg is a very good player. George Martin was probably fairly man of the match because he did have an excellent game um and you know i've 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 not heard of dolly before but he came came good and scored two tries so 
fair play to him. But Exeter, well, they they started off box kicking, and Stewart just came and took every single one. And when he when he when he's coming to catch a ball, it's almost like everyone is getting out of the way from both teams. He's so dominating the space, and you you don't believe he's going to drop the ball. I thought he was outstanding, and he was decent in attack too. He scored the first try, um, created another one, um, made a made a couple of good tackles as well. Um, I th- I think if he doesn't get fifty England caps, we we I'd be so surprised. It just you know you can. You can look at fullbacks that produce, you know, um, attacking uh, pieces of work and stuff, but the the confidence the rest of the team must have been getting from him, just taking every single ball, and then he's big, he's big, and he keeps on his feet long enough for the support to get there. Um, I'm, you know, I was impressed last season, but I'm even more impressed now. I'm not impressed with his frosted tips. No, I mean, at the end of the day, no one's perfect. Certainly be, not his hairdresser. I'd be very much surprised if Dougie hadn't had frosted tips at some point in his former <laughs> Never life. have, mate. Never have. It wasn't quite the full Robbie Fowler, was it? It was. You've done it, though, haven't you, Phil? No, no, I went the whole hog. There's no oh, point doing you? the tips. Yeah. And you're a crazy uni guy, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I had it. Have you seen Elkings? Fucking hell, the bug has done his hair, hasn't he? It's only gone blonde. Jesus, what a guy. <laughs> uh, I I did that as well in school. Full, them, full blonde hair. <laughs> if you bleached your hair now, mate, it'd burn, wouldn't it? Bleach, what bleach what did it look like when it was coming back through? Uh, not great. <laughs> There's a picture. There was a picture of me in an old football kit, and I was wearing. Um, you must have looked like you were tie dyed. Yeah, I was wearing blue. <laughs> I was wearing blue Asics football boots before coloured boots were made trendy by professional footballers. Cutting edge. So, yeah, I was. I was ahead of the game there, and um, yeah, it mm, not great. I've got to be honest. Um, and yeah, dark dark-ish roots with bleach blonde hair was never uh, never really a strong point for me but it happened nevertheless that was it was I've, I've slightly basically had the same haircut for 25 years plus yeah my my hair has changed so um there, whilst, there, whilst I mean that... did you did anyone see Ben Dunn's disgrace at the weekend uh, ben Dunn, no. Ben Dunn, uh, the the Tom bath. Dunn. Um, Tom, Tom, Dunn. Tom Dunn. No, you didn't see that. Oh, if you can fi- have a look at, have a look, see if you can find a picture of him. I'll, talk amongst yourselves. I'll find a picture. Um, we'll uh, we'll tweet it. Can can uh, whilst Dougie was looking on the internet box for the uh, Gloucester fly half that we couldn't name, that was George, George Barton. Barton. Yeah. Um. I was advised to go onto the Gloucester website and look at a photo of Billy 12 trees. Now I'm struggling to put into words 
what Billy <laughs> Twelve Trees looks like in this photograph. <laughs> is he an extra from Prisoner Cell Block H? Is he um, a really bad uh, Bodhi Cipher impersonator from Point Break? Um, he looks like he's had several pretty deep spray tans. You know, like <laughs> Ross Ross from Friends, where he ends up with two threes. I'm and... an eight. <laughs> oh, two, yeah. He, he's, he's home and away revisited. That's what it is. It's it's the home and away twenty year reunion. Yeah. He he looks like he looks like a guy who maybe used to be a cool surfer when he was in his early twenties, um, and now has and now has leather skin, and still has no job and still um, lives in a camper van. Have, has anyone seen um, Apocalypse Now? Yeah, <laughs> you know who the surfer they take with them. Yeah, that's, that, that's an LSD casualty by the end of it. That that's definitely he, the vibe I'm getting he, from that picture. He looks like the type of guy that you could see riding an inordinately long skateboard through the streets of Gloucester. <laughs> Have you seen? What, <laughs> and everybody goes, seen? "Oh, look, look, look! There's uh, there's Billy. Look, we all there's know Billy. Billy. There's Have Billy look, what, on his skateboard. Have you seen what his long, position all, is all year round? Have you seen what his position is on the website? <laughs> left center. <laughs> left center. What does, does that, that mean? even mean? Does that mean he is uh, liberal centre, liberal centre? <laughs> and Chris Harris is down as a right centre. And Johnny I May's down as right. That Johnny anymore. May down as right wing, despite um, the fact he's played most of his life as in the left. Jordy jo- Reed and yeah. Billy Twelve Trees look like two guys that are sharing a camper van. and and, and they they both both own a good they both own a guitar yeah definitely both got guitars yeah yeah that neither could play very well (laughs) but they both own one nonetheless um neither have had a shower for at least 17 weeks (laughs) um billy 12 trees will keep you at the table geordie reed robs robs your caravan Slide the door open, there's a fruity smell coming out of it. Yeah. I mean, Um, left centre, fucking hell. Can we? Have you seen the the Russian prop? Oh, God. We're in modes now. We're just looking through squads, looking looking at... Good podcasting, but he... Okay. Yeah, he... Who are we talking? Gotovstev. Oh, Ben and pronunciations, I like it. Kirill yeah. got... probably Graham, isn't? It? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he Kirill Gotovsev. Yeah, he very much looks like uh, Russian special services. I mean, if I was to put him like you know when Billy Twelve Tree is, is listed as a left center, yeah, I would put Gotovsev down as right wing. <laughs> 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 I'm 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 now I'm now having to resort to um, watching the highlights of the bath mats to get a picture of Tom Dunn's hair. Oh wow! I mean, oh. like anyway, rugby's good, isn't it? I mean, it, it's back. I don't know about yeah. good. <laughs> um, let's let's move on from that. Um, anyway, Leicester, we we've talked about Leicester um, 
Bath were, I don't know whether Bath were unlucky or not against Sale because I've not watched it. Um, but it was a close, close match. Nevertheless, Ben, what are your um, thoughts thoughts on Bath's chances, chances this season? Um, well, you know, they, they, I can't remember them ever being competitive at Sale, you know, so getting within a point, probably a, a good sign. Um, it's not somewhere they ever go and play well. Um, I can't say I saw the game, um, but I, I think Bath will be very much like they were last season. Um, I think they'll look good at times, um, but I don't think they've got enough quality across the board to trouble the top four. Um, other than in the back row, you know, their back row is brilliant. Back, probably back three of the backs as well. Um, but yeah, that they're, they're still a work in progress. Whether there will ever be that much progress, I don't know. But they're also not going to be the worst team in the league. So, um, good day out. Hoping to get there this year. Well, Where do you stand on uh, Hooper? Um, I mean, his, his toes. <laughs> yeah. I thought at one stage he was definitely trying to look for a, at least an identity, which was, you know, quite a gnarly pack. Uh, and then he almost by luck got a very good set of backs as well. Um, but it seemed to fall apart a little bit last year. The 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 front row was without doubt the worst in the league. Um, the second row is quite uninspired. And and as I say, they've got a very good back row with some really good established internationals and some really good youngsters. But if it's if that front row's got the rest of the pack retreating through their faces, then they're not going to make a huge amount of difference. Um, I'm not convinced Cipriani's the answer, but you know he probably will win a couple of games. Um, yeah, I think the jury's out on him. But chopping and changing your management probably won't help either. So I would stick with it for a little bit longer. Fair enough. Um, and the other game on Saturday, so Worcester actually beat London Irish. Um, as I've mentioned, their first win since the first day of last season. Be interesting to see how they go this season. Um, Owen Williams, uh, Willie Hines were instrumental by all accounts. Um, maybe that what what I think Worcester have lacked um, for a while is someone to play outside um, Francois Houhard, who you know at times in his early days at Worcester carried them almost single handedly, but they've never really had a even with the angry potato playing at 10, but it was always really difficult for them. And I think with Willie Hines and Owen Williams, that could give them a little bit of a, a platform to, um, to build upon and to at least get some ball and the likes of Kovacic. I mean, you look at the, the back row, like Kovacic, Lewis Hill, you know, they've got, players ollie lawrence um van der merva they've got coming in um you know they've are that or are they still going to be the same old worcester we'll, we'll have we'll have to wait and see um 
Doug, you've you found a still of Tom Duncan's hair. Um, has he had skull surgery? I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen the Simpsons? Homer uh, plays for the um, plays for the nuclear power plant baseball team. Yeah. And they get Leaves one the of the bets. players, and he keeps saying, "Boggs, cut your sideburns." <laughs> He comes in his exact haircut. I wonder if that's uh, where that's come from because it is so, an absolute shocker, isn't it? So, Tom Dunn looks like a really bad Jolien Lescott um, tribute act. Tribute act. <laughs> <laughs> like he's had a really unfortunate accident and he's had to have somebody crack his skull. <laughs> Real bad. Real bad. Not having it. Um, and then on Sunday, it was uh, the Champions Quins versus uh, Travelling to Newcastle, who uh, offered some quite sturdy resistance at times. They showed some excellent skill, speed through Adam Rabwan and Doug, as you rightly pointed out, um, some blunt force instruments in Carl Fern. It was Really nice, to, I thought, to see Carl Ferns back in the Premiership. He is an absolute beast when he's on the ball. And there aren't many people, like you watch when Benny Villapola or Nathan Hughes in their prime were uh, uh, carrying the ball hard into contact. I don't think anybody carries the ball into contact as hard as Carl Ferns does. He is really strong. Like freakishly strong. I mean, it yeah. helps to be that shape. Yeah, which not many human beings are. I think. Look, I think he's a he's he's helpful to Newcastle, but I do think that he may be one of the most overhyped players to have ever played rugby in the Premiership. Really? Yeah. I think at premiership level he is like But there was all that all those calls for him to be oh get Carl Ferns back, he'll be in the England side in Oh yeah, team. but no, I don't think I don't think he's the type of player that would necessarily suit international rugby. But I think you're right in what you say that for a side like Newcastle or at the time Gloucester, um, or even Bath to a certain extent, that he is he is a a blunt force instrument that in the right setup could be very very effective i think in some setups he he would he would probably barely get any minutes but like in, in wasps for instance i don't think wasps would really utilize him in in bristol bristol yeah so but he hasn't got the skills. I don't think he's got the skill set of Vunapola or Hughes or. Um, well, we didn't really mention Vunapola. I mean, is he cooked? Is, I don't uh, think he'll play for England again. He's yeah. He, he was just looks done to me. He looks yeah, uninterested yeah. almost. I mean, I know he made that amazing tackle in the corner, but don't know. I think the injuries have taken their toll on him, haven't they? I don't think he runs with the same. <clears throat> Yeah, I think you're right. He he was noticeable probably three times during the whole of the rest of the, the whole of the match, and that's not to say he wasn't doing anything else. But his game plan has always been about doing the things that people see, the big hard carries. And yeah, you're right. I think he is probably done. 
<laughs> he's he's done he's done in how we would have ever viewed Billy, Billy Filipona. Like it, on the international stage, smashing people. That that game, um, the World Cup semi final. I mean, a lot of people had games of their lives in that World Cup semi final. But there was a game against South Africa at Twickenham as well a year or two before the World Cup, or maybe it was a couple of more than that. And he just absolutely murdered everyone. I remember him rocket, he rocked um, Etzebeth at a point, didn't he? And it was just... Oh, he sat Etzebeth down, didn't he? Yeah. Point, yeah. 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 But he's a long, he's a long way removed from that now, isn't he? Which... I think know, so, which is sad, really, because he has, he has been one of the best players in, in England for... Well, if not the world for the best part of 10 years. So it's just a shame that he's had the Turlangi virus. Uh, like both of them should have a hundred caps for England. If the injury gods would have smiled a bit more favorably on them, you know, I, I don't think that's can be disputed that yeah. sort of degree. I think, uh, I mean, he's not 30 yet, so yeah, yeah but I, don't, I just don't think he's going to be one of those players that's going to be playing until he's 35, I think. No, I, I, I was, yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I think um, he's an old 30. Yeah, very much so. Because he, you know, he was very hyped as a youngster as well because he was at Wasps and then moved to Saracens. You know, that was, like as you say, a long time ago now. Um, you know, I, feel, I still think he's, he's a presence on the pitch. Um, but how much of that is due to reputation? You're right. That was a brilliant tackle. Um, some Bristol fans did think it should have been a penalty, but <laughs> oh, he's coming at the side of a ruck. What? Yeah, a ruck not that a ruck. Doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> fuck off. Um, so you know, I I hope he comes back. Um, you know, going back to Ferns, I think Russ, you're probably right. He's he's a very good Premiership player. Um. Bath used him at six, and he's he's a great guy to have at six. Um, if you've got the right kind of seven, which at the time they had um, Francois Lowe. So that made pretty good um, back row. Uh, you, you just use his carrying and his tackling. Um, but yeah, you probably do need the right team to to utilise him. And, and, you know, I don't think many people would, would have him as an international eight, but he could probably feeling at six fairly well um but yeah where where he is now is a good spot for him yeah i agree i absolutely agree i don't i i don't think he would he would have had too much of an impact in in international rugby for the the reasons that i listed before and i think like you know you you can see big blokes there's a lot of big blokes that play international rugby for georgia for instance doesn't make them very good like good in certain circumstances big blokes who have succeeded in international rugby have all had wider skill sets and i think that's where he kind of lacks he's just blunt force really but he'll be effective in newcastle i've got i've got absolutely no doubt uh right any other premiership related business chaps Anything else you want to bring I up? I just wanted to get your opinion as somebody who can't really talk about that stuff, about how the Premiership have dealt with the highlight show and what you think the impact of that might be. So am I right in thinking that 
the highlight show on Channel Five now doesn't exist, and they are they put everything or other than Mark Dunsworth, David Flatman is doing some kind of highlights thing on the Premiership Rugby website. There will be something on the Premiership Rugby website. Yes, all the games are available live twelve hours after kickoff on the Premiership Rugby website. In full. In full. You can have full highlights free. or full game replays for free 12 hours after kickoff. Okay. Which has always been the case going back six, seven, eight years. It's always been the case that you can watch every premiership match. And I think the library goes back five or six years. You can watch any premiership game from so, the last five or six years at least, I think. So you've got a question. How much... if? If those, if that Channel Five show was getting even a handful of thousand viewers, I'm going to carry on where Russ was talking because he looks like he's frozen. <laughs> yeah. Then, then they would have continued with it. Um, and Let me. I, I suspect there's been a bit of a shift from people watching highlight shows, as as there has been generally with television, from people watching live TV to people watching. Um, streamed versions that, I mean, I, I haven't watched a highlight show for Premiership Rugby for God knows how long on any channel. I'll watch a, I'll watch the highlights videos on YouTube or, or I'll watch an, ex, uh, an extended bit on YouTube or an extended clip on BT Sport or, or watch the whole game on the Premiership Rugby website. So do, does it add anything to me? No. Do I think other people probably think the same? Yeah. But I do like David Flatman. Sorry, so let me tell I, you what I, just I think I'm probably allowed to tell you um, around why this has happened. So you may have you may have heard of the Zone, who are quite big in Europe, quite big in. Um, Japan and the Americas and and, and whatnot. They're a, they're a on they're a streaming platform that produce a lot of global sports. They they own a lot of global sports rights and they produce some content. And one of the historical contracts that they had was for the Premiership Rugby. Now, when they first started doing it, it was three cameras, um, and it was literally just so that they could knock out a highlight show for Premiership Rugby, which was then given to the whoever the terrestrial broadcaster was that then subsequently grew into an eight camera ob because some clubs in the premiership were upset or i think all the clubs in the premiership maybe had a grievance that the games that bt did or the games that sky did or what whoever were receiving a different level of officiating than the ones that weren't because they would be getting TMOs with video replays, eight cameras, all these different angles. And they were feeling like, well, those guys are maybe getting tries that we're not, and that may cost us games. So Premiership Rugby put together a package. The zone got the contract because they already had it. They moved up to eight camera specs so that largely all the positions in which contentious decisions could be made would be covered by a camera so on a rugby pitch that's all four corners wide shot for uh forward passes and offsides tighter shot camera two which was given to the analysts so club analysis would get um 
a camera two coverage, which is your sort of first close up, and that 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 would provide the clubs with analysis feeds, and then camera three, which would be for the broadcaster to tie the broadcast up, so you could have personality cameras and a bit of a closer closer um closer view, and then that developed into every match in the Premiership receiving eight camera coverage. This contract went on for quite a long time, and at the end of last season, that contract came to an end. And subsequently, over the course of that contract, which was very much sort of bag of a back of a fag packet, you will do it for another four years. Okay, cheers, mate. Quite tight budget because ultimately the clubs foot the bill because Premiership Rugby pay for it. Um, it was decided at the higher levels of the zone that they would no longer compete for this contract. So mixed in with all of this contract, the zone produced the channel four highlights program, which then became the channel five highlights program. It did all of the, the online um, content and managed the social feeds of various things. So when that contract went, the zone who had a huge staff, all those people lost their jobs and that sort of um, infrastructure went. And so, in actual fact, the company that took it over, the, the contracts owned by BT Sport with a Sunset and Vine input, and a third party has come in to produce the games. But that now means that BT Sport own the contract for the extra game so i don't know and look, i don't know the ins and outs of this bit and i probably can't speak to why but it's not in bt sports interest maybe to produce that show and then give it to channel five and so channel five of maybe and again this is just speculation on my part and i know nothing about the ins and outs of it, Channel 5 have looked at it and gone, well, it's not financially viable for us to do this because the return on investment isn't good enough because yeah. we've got to pay flats and dirters, we've got to pay cameramen, we've got to pay editors, we've got to pay all these people to make a highlight show that maybe 5,000 people are watching and we don't get any ad revenue from. So ultimately, I think it comes down to sort of hard um, economics and the return yeah. on investment isn't good enough. And now those that that highlight package has migrated to just being, well, we're recording these games for TMO purposes and club feeds. We've got the footage. We'll just stick it on the website. Yeah. So it, it's, it's not always as simple as, oh, this isn't, this is terrible from Channel 5. Channel 5 have made a decision. They've got a finite budget. That stuff came with the zone because of legacy. They sort of did it because it was like, yeah, we'll do that for you when it was a tiny product and now it's a big product. I know for a fact the zone had, had maybe 10 members of staff in their rugby department that their only job was to produce the highlights package. But it's in, entirely plausible that playing into that may well be viewer numbers not being fantastic. That's and, why I don't think Channel 5 can, want to produce the show because it, no, it, no. it's not cost-effective. Yeah. And and if you can just go on YouTube or the Premiership Rugby um, website and get highlights or, or the full games, it's so accessible. It's just as easy to do that as it is to put Channel 5 on. 
exactly. I mean, and it's 12 hours high, later. It's highlight all the Saturday kickoffs from 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning. You can get up on Sunday morning and watch every game. Highlights to Leicester Exeter from the weekend. 57,000 views so far. Uh, yeah, would Channel, Channel 5, 5 would, would not get that? Would Channel 5, no, they oh. wouldn't get that for, for police interceptors. I'd like to know Give them a second series figures for BT's game on Saturday. What were the BT viewing figures for the for the game Bristol against um, Saracens on, on Friday night? Because I bet it's not many more than that. That's, that's a good question. I mean, you'd like to think it would be more because it was the curtain raiser, because it was Saracens, Bristol, but it I mean, might it not leads be. nicely into the wider point that we've had almost two years of not being able to go to rugby matches, but I didn't see a single full stadium this week. There are empty seats at every ground, which I found incredible. I was like, I was actually taken aback watching the highlight show on, on BT sport that there were so many empty seats. It just like, and it's the how, how often, how it is, it is, but how often, and you'll probably know this more than anybody. How often are, are rugby matches at that level actually sold out? Completely and utterly sold out. Well, until Saints built their new stand where the old corporate block used to be, Saints had sold out something like 50 home games in a row. Fair enough. But but now they, they've got... They've reached capacity now. They 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 very rarely sell out. Okay, so the best they can get you is uh, in terms of viewing figures was from a fair while ago. Peak audience viewing figures of two hundred thousand with an average of one hundred eighty thousand for BT Sport Premiership on, Rugby. On a fr- and and that will be boosted and that will be bolstered. By Friday night, when people may watch on a Friday well, night, versus the game on a Saturday afternoon, or probably have less because people would be playing on a Saturday afternoon. And that was the highest figures within this report. Whenever this report was for that, I can't find the date on. And it, and it yeah, also, I, begs, I think you're probably looking at 150 thousand. Yeah, on average. And it also begs the question: watching it, and 50 thousand going to watch the highlights within yeah. 24 hours. It, it, it boils back to the question, like production-wise, from BT Sports' point of view, if they if they own the, the contract, they've got to have cameras, eight cameras at every game because of um, the TMO and the uh, analysts and all that sort of stuff. Um, they could they could host all the games from the studio. God, Christ, like they could even commentate on the fucking games from the studio now because that's what they did in the Lions. They don't even have to have people at the games. They for could a, commentate. For the most part, all the games are directed from High Wycombe. Right? All the BT so, rugby matches are directed from High Wycombe. So, so with that in mind, why, like if they've got to have it there, it makes no sense to not have all the games live. Like, there's probably a contractual reason. I, I couldn't, again, I can't speak to why they don't. No. I can't speak to the reasons for any of it. I can just tell you what I know, and that is that they have the contract. Now, why would you intentionally shrink your audience? 
because if you shrink your audience for one show, your ad revenue will drop. Then you don't make your investment well, back. Let, and who let, knows? Maybe, but then, but then gotta, maybe gotta, there are plans in afoot for those games to be shown live. If there are, I don't know about them. Let's not talk about ad revenue because we'll have Sonia McLaughlin moaning about yeah. um, <laughs> that. Was you got the a most hair loss tweet I've ever seen in my life? Wasn't it? Fucking hell! Please Unbelievable. with me. You got I a felt really disengaged. Don't watch it a, then. Don't watch you, the adverts. You got to balance. Who watches ad revenue? No one does. But you got to balance. Don't tell the advertisers that. You got to balance that ad revenue against what they're dis- what they're choosing to show instead of those other live games. Because I can't honestly believe that some ATP Challenger event would bring in more in ad revenue than live Premiership Rugby. But they're probably but a contracted show a variety of sport or, they, or, w- or WTA or whatever. I don't know. I mean, one thing I do know is. Um, I now have a uh, solution for my erectile dysfunction problem. <laughs> I mean, fuck me! Like, it's not what Tracy said. I, one thing I do know is, well, I only found it the weekend. I only found it the weekend. <laughs> sorry, Doug. No, sorry, I was just talking over you. Don't worry about it. No, well, you know, technically, we were all talking over each other. And now none no, of us no are talking. Was... <laughs> <laughs> it is a crime. crime. It is a crime. Um, and if rumour is to believe, you're back on the bottle. <laughs> and a doster and a duad. Um, <laughs> I, I think... I, I think we're probably leaning towards all games being shown somewhere on a Saturday. I don't think it'll be this season. Probably not in the next two seasons, but... I do think that's where it'll end up because there's an there's an appetite for it and it it would be in Premiership Rugby's best interests. Just just in time for rugby to be unwatchable, it'll be everywhere to watch. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there would be an the appetite problem with getting new people to watch rugby is there's more tosses saying that oh that shouldn't be allowed that shouldn't be allowed and that shouldn't be allowed what we should do is keep rugby for ourselves <laughs> make rugby great again no more new people yeah don't need any new people thanks we'll we'll look after our own future generations of rugby We've got 102 friends and we all like rugby <laughs> and we all hate twitter right yeah that that will do for this week um any other business doug why is it always me first it isn't but it's only because you always say come back to me in a minute (laughs) um come back to me in a minute ben um to be honest all I can think about is the dog toy that I just bought, which cost nearly £10, and I gave it to the dog, and within eight minutes, he had split it open and was tearing the insides out of it. That so, was uh, no dog toy, and Sarah's going to be really disappointed with you. I was going to say, <laughs> is it one of those ones that looks like a dildo? 
I mean, I, I don't know how many of those have stuffing in the middle of them, but <laughs> is that a thing? No idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just make tougher dog toys. I mean, that's that's topical for a rugby podcast, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. There you go. Phil. So I have been, I've been looking forward to this. In fact, Phil, involved. you wait, you wait there. Okay, we'll we'll wait. we'll end we'll end with you. I'm gonna yeah, suggest yeah. that the I'll go. Go on. Um I bought I may have told you all a few well, almost a year ago to the day really, I bought some new golf clubs. Um some tailor made uh what are they called, Russ? Sim. Oh, oh yeah, tailor made sim ones. irons. Um, about five months into owning them, they all started coming out. the The head started coming out off of the shaft, and so they had to go back to tailor made to be fixed. And they were there for six six weeks, and then I got them back. I was playing around last week, hit an eight iron to the third green at my local club, and thought, "Oh, that sounded a bit funny." Looked down, and sure enough, the shaft was an inch out of the head. So tailor made. I've taken 700 quid, 750 quid off of me for some golf irons, which have broken twice in a year, but they refuse to replace them with a different set of irons. Um, they refuse to replace them with a different model of irons. I've just got to send them back for another six weeks. And what do you do for six weeks when you can't play golf? You tell me. Work, look, I'll, I'll just go and look lit, wistfully down the first fairway just, from the terrace. Just, just do something better. <laughs> oh, you pay hundred pounds. I mean, I, I wouldn't have bought Taylor Made Sims, but that was your choice. Um, what ones did you buy, Russ? Uh, Callaway Apex. I bought Callaway Apex. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. your handicap again? Uh, fourteen. All right, so you're worse than me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I play in competitions, mate. So, yeah. I'm playing competitions, mate. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Off, off um, your bandy cap. Off my bandy cap. Right. Let, I'm going to suggest that this week is the Ryder Cup. And of all of the golf events that you could ever watch, even if you don't really like golf, the Ryder Cup is just something different. And it's something special. And there is a lot to be said for, for team golf and the different formats they play within the Ryder Cup, and it can really get you involved. Um, and this year they're playing Whistling Straits, just off of Lake Michigan, and it's a very European-style, linksy course, um, undulating fairways and, and greens, and seems a very odd choice for America to be playing Europe in a, in a European-style venue, but they are. So, 1 o'clock, 1,300 hours Friday, the Ryder Cup kicks off. So... Uh, Get watching it. I know I will be. Um, and now to end this on a really cheery light note is uh, is Phil's any other business, which I think he's been patiently waiting for 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 some quite some time. Yeah, this has been brewing somewhat for at least thirty six hours. Um, so I've been involved in coaching uh, rugby to children for nine years now. Went along like rusted on Sunday with with my eldest. Um, as a five-year-old thought, I'm just going to hang around at the back and if they need somebody to shift some cones around or whatever, I'll give them a hand, but very quickly ended up not being able to, to hold back. 
and got involved and followed him through until he was under 10s, under 11s, and then shifted back down the line to go with with my youngest son. Um, I've been on two coaching courses, gave up my time to go on these two coaching courses for the last nine years, barring a, a hiatus during coronavirus. I've given up a couple of hours of my time every Sunday. I've given up couple of hours of my time one other day of the week either a Wednesday or a Friday currently it's both of those um given up my time to organize the sessions to plan the sessions uh to make sure all the kits sorted um at the end of the year yeah I'll get given six cans of cider as a thank you from the parents and a and a card if I'm lucky um but I don't I don't do it for any particular thanks I do it because I want my son to have decent coaching and enjoy it and there are never enough parents who stick their hands up to volunteer at those kind of things. And as an aside, I've got a, a general feeling that if your kids do a single club, then you ought to be volunteering something towards the running of at least one of the clubs that they do. Otherwise, you're a bit of a selfish dick. Um, you don't need any particular skill or talent to send a few emails and make sure everybody's there who needs to be there and, and that they're, they're there in the right place. Um but uh, yeah, start of my son's under nine season, moving into contact, massive step up and a massive change from tag rugby to contact rugby. Sent out a big email to all of the parents, got uh, got recognition from all of them that they'd read them, um, saying about how we've got limited training time and there's a lot for them to learn to make sure that it's both enjoyable and safe for them. First session, we've got 18 kids registered. First session, five of them turn up 10 minutes late to the session. Um, but we we go ahead with it and we encourage them to come along and enjoy it as much as possible. Really good bunch of kids. Second session, five of them turn up late. Not the same five, but five of them turn up 10 minutes late. And bearing in mind the session's at quarter past six on a Friday evening, supposed to go on for for an hour. So they've they've wasted 10 minutes of that session by turning up 10 minutes late, fucked up my plans for, for the entire session. But not only that, probably seven or eight of the kids turned up having not eaten anything since they had lunch at half past 12, one o'clock at school. So these are eight-year-old kids that are turning up hungry, tired, late. Um, and frankly, the majority of the kids were little shits, um, didn't listen, didn't pay attention, so as a result, the session ran over by 10 minutes, which I thought was the appropriate thing to do to make sure that they're still getting the benefit of the learning. Um, and those that are paying attention aren't being penalised by the rest of them turning up late. Now, obviously, running 10 minutes over, it's not it's not a massive thing, but it's not ideal. But it pissed off three of the parents enough that they decided to make a complaint to the club about the session running 10 minutes over and finishing instead of finishing at 7.15, finishing at 7.25, which means that they were going to be late home and the kids were going to be late to bed when they had to get up, when they've got nothing to do the following morning. Now, that fucked me off enough because um, ultimately we've got three coaches and we all give up our time for free. And we're never late. We're always there 15 minutes beforehand, making sure it's all set up right. And we all have to stay for 15 minutes afterwards to clear all the kit up and make sure all the kit's ready 
for the next session and put the bags away in the in the locker. Um, so that pissed me off enough, them complaining about me running a session 10 minutes over. But what really fucked me off is they didn't come to me and say, oh, a bit annoyed that the sessions have run over. Is there any chance we can make them finish on, on time? No, no, no. They went direct to the club to complain about me. So as far as I'm concerned, if you if you complain because your kids get extra time from coaches because you've turned up late and your kids are not well enough behaved to pay attention, you can fuck off into the sea and not come back. And well, I'd was rather it the same? Te- was it the same kids that were? Do you not know? Obviously, I don't know because they haven't even got the balls to to let me know who it is that's complained. Do you know what they I do in the next do session? It anonymously, you know kids, what I would do. Um, coaches versus parents. Yeah, full contact. E- either go full contact or kids that turn up late. I'm saying really sorry. We've started the session. You can't join in. And that'll no, soon learn everyone. I got them to run laps around the cricket pitch for 10 minutes. Um, but surprise, surprise, nobody was late on the last session. Um, uh, but no, what I did was I made sure we finished five minutes early and told them to fuck off. But I'm <laughs> nine years old. Go on, you little cunts. Fuck off. <laughs> but I, no, I just. There Sorry, are so, swear warning. There are so many fucking entitled parents out there. These parents don't even watch, don't even get engaged in the matches. They just think I'm there as cheap childcare for their kids. And the kids are absolutely fantastic. They're a good bunch of kids. But parents are total cunts. I just have I have zero time for a parent who just thinks it's appropriate to drop their kid, go and hide in the corner somewhere, not even watch and get involved. Got kids who run into each other and get hurt and they'll go, right, go and Go and check with your parent. Make sure you're okay. Where are they? I don't fucking know. I'm I'm coaching. It's not my job to be the babysitter to your parents. It's the, it's the ones that go back it's, into the they they drop the kid off, and instead of standing there in the elements and watch, they go back and sit in their cars. Yeah, hate they sit they sit in their cars two hundred yards away, um, and then have the gall to complain that the session ran over by ten minutes. Right, you know what? This Friday session we're going to finish at eight o'clock. Can I? What did the club? What did the club say about it? Nothing. <laughs> like, if you want, if you want the session to finish, then you make the session finish. Did, did they? As long did as they you're complain? not. As long as you're not going over the RFU prescribed amounts of exercise that they can do, the club don't give a shit. Did they complain to the club chairman? No, I. It went through our manager as a complaint to the club, through the under nines manager as a complaint to the club, but. Yeah, fuck off. That's, that's oh, what mate, I'd about. be fucking fuming, and I'd be, oh. I'd be right, I'd be on to the the parents' WhatsApp. I'd be into the parents' Facebook group. Say, listen, if you've got a problem with the session running ten minutes over, instead of going through the club making a complaint, why don't you come and have a chat with me about it? Yeah, and then we can discuss and, it like adults while you're bleeding. And you know on the what? Floor. One one of the parents came to me and said, look. I need my kid to be away sharpish at 7.15 because my wife's got something to do and I need to go home and look after the other kids. And you go, yeah, that's fine. Whenever you need to go, just grab them and shoot off. Not a problem at all. I have no issues with that. People have lives. It's when they sit there quietly, not saying anything, and then go and, go and moan behind your back. But, I mean, the, the club know full well that I have zero time for that kind of shit. Um, they'd have gurt me for turning up 10 minutes late to a kit handover day at the end of a season a couple of years ago and I was like well you've got two choices you can fuck off 
or I will take my kids and go and play for another club. And they went, well, we don't mean it like that. And I was like, well, stop fucking moaning then. But, You'd think they'd have had more cause to complain about the six weeks of training to take headshots at, at rucks that you've been doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, was it Dr. Alison Pollock's child in your, in your <laughs> class? <laughs> yep. Yep, clearly. Right. Anyway, I mean, somehow this has managed to go on for the best part of an hour and a half. So uh, and I do think about 80% of that was Phil's any other business. It's <laughs> fine by me. I, so, I appreciate the opportunity to vent. So with that in mind, we'll uh, more than likely be back next week. The Mallover Invitational is still going on, obviously, uh, 9th of October. Uh, I know that there's plenty of people heading down. So thank you to everybody getting involved. Thank you to Nexus. Thank you to Kitworld. Thank you to all the people that are helping out with the Mallover Invitational. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to either have some news or maybe even have the kit in the next week or so. So we will we will see what happens with that. I'm very excited by by the thought of stash. So uh, yeah. Um, also, it looks like we I mentioned last week we might have a quiz. So in the lead up to Mallover Invitational Week, maybe the the week before we'll do uh, we'll get Adam on to to read out guy's quiz that he's written for us while he's laid up hopefully he's not still laid up in hospital and um, with nothing else to do other than look at uh twitter which is a cesspit so there you go right we're getting out of here we will see you all next week go well Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.